Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. One of the subjects I might be touching on with my next guest, because he is the outgoing group chief executive of the Jockey Club, the most important and weighty commercial organisation in the sport of horse racing. He's held that job for 11 years, prior to which he was the executive chairman of Racecourse Media Group, the parent company of this channel, Racing TV, then known as Racing UK, but something which grew into a much bigger enterprise than people had anticipated at its inception. Prior to that, he was running Music Choice, more of which a little bit later on, and before that he had trained at KPMG. He is Simon Basildet. Simon, thank you very much for joining us here on Luck on My Sunday. Pleasure. And why now, after 11 years in your in your prime and with a, a portfolio of of interesting interesting options and interesting ways of uh, of deploying your time, why now do you choose to move on and pass the baton to Delia Bushell? Uh, well, it, it should have been five or six years ago uh, when I took this job, or as I like to say, was 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 tricked into taking this job 11 years ago. I said I'd I'd guarantee five years. Uh, and before that, twice before, I've tried to go um, go in a different direction and effectively do a multiple of things, be on different boards and different projects. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried that 15 years ago and ended up with uh, RMG as executive chairman for, I thought, six months, ended up being five years. Then I thought I was going to become a part-time chairman, non-executive chairman at uh, RMG uh, and start that portfolio career. The jockey club sneaked up on me um, and I said I'd do five years. I've done 11 uh, and I've decided to, to have another go and make sure I get it right this time. So that's one of the reasons. This has always been my plan uh, and I'm, I've, I've, I've always been a bit late in getting, getting to where I want to get to, but uh, I've decided now is the time. But also, I also have a feeling that you know, if you do a, if you do a job, particularly one I think that is as, as, as important and as, as challenging as being chief executive of any organisation, certainly the Jockey Club. I think, you know, I think there's a time limit on on your ability to really um, make things happen and to really bring fresh thinking the whole time. And I think 11 years is more than enough. So, so I took the decision that you know the time time was up and it was time for me to get on and do other things and really let let uh, younger, fresher, more energ energetic people come in and and pick up the battle. Was there an extent that you didn't want to become the person that you'd railed against when you first took the job? Uh, that's certainly one of the things that uh, was in my mind. I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I've, I've said elsewhere is that uh, when I when I came in 15 years ago from outside the sport, knowing very little about the sport, and RMG was a great place to learn about it without without necessarily being, uh, you know, <coughs> one of the main stakeholders in the sport. So I learned a lot about it, working effectively uh, uh, for for a number of the race courses. Um, and then when I came to the Jockey Club, part of my mandate was really to build on that, that experience and also the media side and thinking about audiences and customers and that kind of side. Uh, and and it it wasn't a frustration, but part of the challenges was you would come across people who had who had been in the sport a long time who would say, "Well, that's a great idea, young man, but you know, frankly, you know, we tried that 20 years ago and it doesn't work." So you know you're going to quickly find that that's not going to work, and you know that was great in one way because that that gives you the momentum and the energy to kind of say, "Well, actually, well, uh, I think we can make it work this time. Let's have, let's give it a go." But I now find myself in the position where people come with great ideas, and I say, "Well, actually, yeah, we thought about that 10 years ago, and we didn't really manage to make." it work then and I'm kind of thinking I'm becoming I'm becoming the kind of person that you know was was getting in the way 10 or 15 years ago time for me to kind of step aside and let other people you know really really you know have a go at, at cracking a few things you know keeping keeping the growth and the momentum going you have no racing background you have a, a, a 
a professional background in in accountancy, but prior to that, a you know, background in in music and football. I suppose are your are your yeah. two great loves in in life. Uh, could you ever have imagined being chief executive of an organisation like the Jockey Club? No, I think it's uh, I think it's completely bizarre. It's one of the reasons I had to take the job was I thought it was so nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I spent ten years in the city. That was really an accident. That was really just just really trying to get some experience to go on and do other things. Um, and I wanted to run run really um, broadcasters, radio stations. That was my original love. Um, and then I ended up leaving there to go to a startup and in the music and broadcast business. It was kind of next generation radio. So it sort of got back to that space which I wanted to be in uh, and I love the startup world I love the excitement of that that was one of the excitements of you know when we started racing UK and RMG that was really exciting as well there's been a lot of that kind of startup energy mm. uh, and get things done really get things moving create things that weren't there before and then suddenly to be asked to run a company that's been around for 260 years just seemed nuts so I couldn't resist I couldn't resist the temptation is it fair to say that if you were asked to to say what your legacy has been to, to horse racing, it, it owes as much to what you did at Racecourse Media Group as it as it has to to, to your time at, at the Jockey Club in terms of repositioning horse racing's media rights. I think that was a very important part of it, um, uh, and that continues. You know, today that's still a fundamental, very important part of the sport, both commercially, but also how it reaches an audience and engages people and gets people involved in the sport, which I think is a mm. you know really important uh, element. But equally, you know, it's not it's not it's not all of it. In fact, it's not even the core of it. You're really the media is taking what's there and and presenting it in the in into the world. Um, I think there's lots of things that with excitement at the Jockey Club and the interest. In the jockey club as you're right at the heart of it you know you're right at the heart of you know how the racing is put together how we deal with the customer on the race course how do we how do we put together the show in a way that hopefully then the media side can can take forward so so for me it was a much more fundamental mm. part of the sport um, and therefore and still working with RMG because jockey clubs the biggest shareholder in RMG mm. so I've still been involved in RMG for that time as well so for me it just felt like it was an expanded palette to be able to really really make a difference to the sport uh, the interesting point about your your tenure at, at Racecourse Media Group was that the landscape was was shifting insofar as that the original deal the original at the races deal had had collapsed yeah. and Racing UK began and then Racecourse Media Group as a racecourse is trying to sort of take control of their own rights that was the that was the foundation stone stone of it and the the sport reali sports realization that the, the the levy was no longer sufficient to fund its fund its entirety. Yeah. You fought a lot of battles with a lot of people, mainly mainly betting operators, as regards how you how you get what you think is a fair deal for racing. Do you think racing has a fair deal from the betting industry now as we speak? I think there's a much better relationship now. Um, I think I was astonished when I came in having had experience of wider rights market um, and coming into effectively a rights owning business, horse racing, and discovering how badly it was treated by its licensees. Um, I think we've changed that. I think that's now changed. I think that's healthy for both sides because it's more balanced effectively. Um, racing can't forget that in the end, 
you need bookmakers and betting operators to do well for racing to do well, both financially, but also in terms of you know a big part of our audience are, are, are betting customers, and so you've got to work with um, bookmakers through that angle. But equally, the the, the betting industry has to recognise that you know they, they have a responsibility to racing, and that it's a it's a it's a it's a symbiotic relationship. And I, I, when I came in, I didn't think that was the case. I felt it was very one-sided, and I think I think now, although there are still there are still things to be sorted out. I think fundamentally it's a more balanced relationship now. And if there was one crucial point early on, it was the formation of Racing UK. Yes, that was important because the, the racecourses were owning their own mm. rights, essentially their own direct-to-home rights. But out of that came Turf TV, which was breaking the bookmakers' hegemony over their over their own over their own pictures, which was a, a pretty difficult time. Were you yeah. always confident that that was a battle that you were going to win? Um, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you can never be, you know, it's, you can never be certain, uh, and there was risk. You know, there's, you're always dealing with risk, and uh, in a sense, one of the things that's great about horse racing is, you know, when you're having a bet, is it's all about risk and measuring the risk. Um, in business, you don't necessarily want to be going for. You know, big outsiders, mm. because that, that's a risk on the whole. Particularly if you're betting the farm, you, 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 you're not willing to take. But you're still managing risk. Um, and we put a lot of thought into how we launched to Turf TV. I mean, that was that was the the major area that was not working well. And we knew the bookmakers would fight it like crazy, and they did. And but we set ourselves up so that um, we were able to deal with it. I mean, the, the actual plan originally. This is how plans sometimes work, as, uh, as I think, think Napoleon or Wellington or somebody said. You know, uh, the, the battle plan never last very long after contact with the enemy. Yeah. Um, the original plan was not to launch Turf TV. The original plan was to change the balance of the relationship to make it fairer between racing and the, the service in the bookmaker shops. That was the plan. But we knew we couldn't do that without having the backstop if I can use that word, of um, effectively being able to do our own channel. And we knew we could do that. So, so the idea was that the bookmakers would realise that we could do that and therefore we would end up um, with a sensible deal with the bookmakers and in fact they ended up calling our bluff but we were prepared for that so so the worst thing you can do is uh, is would, would have been if we if we just had given in to them but we we were able to say well if you're not going to do what we think is fair we actually do have a plan which we are going to kick off and we know you're going to take us to court and we know you're going to do all kinds of things but we are ready for that so it's about planning really but making sure you've got the planning ready is being a ballsy negotiator something you enjoy is that is that what Flicks your switch um, when it comes. It's to not. It, 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 I mean, I do, but that's not the. That's not the bit that I bring to it. I think you know. It, it, trying to trying to. I mean, it's always difficult to try and analyse your own. You know, your own strengths and weaknesses. But I would say, I would say one of the things that that uh, I, I am able to do, or I do seem to have a, a skill for, is to think two, three, four steps down the road. And and so it, that's what gives me the the ability to say, well, actually, even if the first two don't work out, we know what three and four are, and that allows you to be perhaps take what looks like more risky decisions early, because actually you know what you're going to do after that. You're not left with no plan. If um, if, if you're good at thinking three, four steps down the road, could you have foreseen the situation that's unfolded with the fixed odds betting terminal legislation leading to hundreds of shop closures, leading therefore to a, a lessening of racing's media rights income on the model that you put in place? Um, I, I, I would say to some extent we did. 
um, again, the plan didn't quite work out. But when one, one of the one of the kind of key projects that we worked on, um, both at Jockey Club, but really across, you know, with our, with uh, our fellow racecourse group Arc, and with some of the independent racecourses, and with the BHA, was a thing called the Authorised Betting Partners. Yes. And and the whole point about the Authorised Betting Partners was that effectively it gave bookmakers a reason to pay the levy when they didn't have to, and thereby curry favour with government, which was was clearly an issue that they had that they were really getting the wrong side of government. So the original idea was not to go to war with the bookmakers around authorised betting partners. It was to give them a commercial reason to partner with racing and then be able to go to government and say, look, we're doing a good thing. We're trying to help you here and thereby get over some of the challenges that they were having. And I, I still think the bookmaking, the bookmaking industry made a, made a dreadful mistake, not just with not accepting that offer, but in the way they dealt with government. Uh, and, and they just did not realise the impact that that would have if government decided to take against them, which is what happened. So you're saying they didn't generate enough goodwill towards you as a, a sport, and because they didn't generate enough goodwill that the government was going to look negatively upon them when it came to the, the FOB-T legislation? Yeah. I think the government... The, the, you think the, the, one is a direct corollary I, I of the think, other? I think it's not the only thing. I think, I think if you look at the bookmakers' behaviour at that time, I think it's massively changed now. But if you look at what they were doing, they were, they were not working with government to think about things like gambling harm, the harm that potentially these machines were having. They were, they were, they were refusing to accept it. They were even challenging the government and threatening, threatening judicial reviews and these kind of things. I mean, in a, in a highly regulated industry, that is madness. But if you're somebody who steps three, thinks three steps ahead, could you not have? Could racing not have helped the bookmaking industry to to fashion that relationship? We, we could government? have done, and we tried, and we offered, um, but they wouldn't accept the help. Um, I mean, they were they were determined that they were going to win their battle with government, uh, and and they were clearly patently wrong about that, and they would not accept the 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 offers that we helped. By the time they did ask for them, it was just in a way in a way that would made no sense whatsoever. Um, so, and I think if you go back and talk to many of the people who were running, you know, the, the big betting operators at that time, I think they'll accept that there was a complete failure of leadership of the bookmake, major bookmakers at that time. And one of the reasons for that is that they were all buying and selling each other. Mm. None of them were none of them were actually focused on what's the should have been their number one risk, which is regulation. They were all focused on, you know, Labrooks was buying corals, um, Betfair and Paddy Power were, were getting together. I mean, it was all it was it they were all focused inwardly focused and not focusing on their relationship with government. And I think that was I think it's. It's a great case study of a, of a whole, its whole sector who, who completely lost touch with their number one risk. It's quite interesting. You've come into a world where there are, are so many factional interests and people always talk about disunity in racing <coughs> and the need to you know, bring these parties together. Is it fair to say that you believe that you, you shouldn't always try and take a conciliatory approach if you don't think it's moving the sport forward? You have to sometimes be an aggressor. Yeah, I think it's a matter of judgment. Uh, uh, I certainly don't think that you one should be completely submissive, but equally, I think you've got to compromise. I am a big believer in in stakeholders coming together. That that is a stronger position to take, uh, and the more the more you can create an aligned interest, the stronger the sport would be. Uh, and that's what RMG was about. Mm. You know, that's authorised betting partners. You know, we're working with Arc, creating Britbet, for example, um, creating the tripartite governance structure of the sport with the race courses horsemen and the BHA working together trying to create a structure where actually you could have the arguments and come to some kind of conclusion for me it's all about bringing people together but equally it's not you have to make sure that you don't allow the, the squeaky wheels to run the sport let me talk about Britbet because we had uh, Alex Frost on the show last week who is the chief executive of Alizetti the now or now to the Tote UK yeah yep. um, so it's a, a group of 
private individuals and investors have got together and yeah. they've now uh, engineered a, a full takeover of the of the Fred Doan owned tote and the Jockey Club and others, the racecourse partners, are running the on-course side of it under under yep. Al Alizetti's auspices. Why doesn't horse racing own the tote outright? Well, that's a, there's a long history to that, isn't there? I mean, that you, can, you probably have to go back to the early 60s. But you, you, um, att you attempted to, to bring about that situation in as Brit bet and it and it hasn't happened well except that what we've done is is again you have to you have to pick your battles and the battle we originally wanted to work with the tote I mean we, we think I mean I think the government did racing a massive disservice when they sold the tote uh, and it was nothing to do with who the buyer was it was all to do with the fact that you went from a body that was that was specifically that built to for, to help racing and provide funding to racing in the tote now and and it was providing 10 11 12 million pounds a year in to the sport um, and and suddenly selling it to and just turning it into a pure commercial organization that was just there to make money and that I think was a was, was the government did racing no favors there and racing did try and um, at various stages has tried to work with government to 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 um, get hold of the tote and you know we failed most of those times this time the reason that the where we are now is that when we set up Britbet mm. we assumed that we would not be able to work with the tote uh, the timing has been a bit difficult, but the fact that the tote is now owned by people who want to work with racing and want to be part of racing means that why compete them? We should try and we should try and work together with them, but which you is what we're doing. To be fair, would be fair to say you didn't see that one coming. You didn't see a group of private investors taking over from Fred Doan, who were no. four horse for quote unquote for the good of horse racing and then with whom perhaps you that, could do a deal that's true but equally it's not about i'm not saying that i can see exactly what's going to happen i'm not trying to say i'm a, a, a teller of the future otherwise i'd be well i was going to say i'd be a tipster but i'm not sure tipsters <laughs> can see the future that well but but it's about having having a plan and knowing how you're going to protect your interests no matter what happens and and what Britbet has done is means that racing through the race courses now owns or owns the pool betting on course and that doesn't just mean through somebody else's equipment we own the technology we own the equipment we the people work for us so no matter what happens off course mm. we always have a position where we know that if the worst case scenario is we could run our own pool betting just on British race courses that's big enough to do that and we have relationships internationally to do that but equally we have a strong negotiating position so that if there's somebody who's running the off-course market like the UK tote now is um, that we are able to partner with them which is exactly what we've done so I think racing's in a in, in, in a in a great place and I think we've protected racing's interests in, in that process so that we're not in hock as we have been up till now to a third-party body that could do whatever they wanted to us and in terms of I was talking about unity uh, where do you think racecourse media group the jockey club are in relation to their relationship with Arc, for example, now who who were at one point relatively close and now seem to be a little less close. Um, I think it's like all these things; they kind of go up and down. Um, I think there's a I think there's a much better relationship between Jockey Club and Arc than there was, say, five years ago. Um, we we're partners in Britbet now. We work together on the authorised betting partner process, and which in the end didn't didn't get where we wanted to with the bookmakers. But I think it did convince government that they had to had to fix the levy. So it did achieve it did, it did achieve that. So there's lots of things we do work with with Arc. Um, I, I, would I like to see over the next you know five years or more or less um, closer relationship on the media rights I think that would be a good thing I mm. think that, I think if we can find a way of doing it but equally 
it's it's not just about working together. You've got to have a shared a shared purpose about how what brings you together. So that when the times are difficult, you can go back and say, actually, are we all doing this for the right reasons? We're not just doing it to make a bit of money here and there. And and I think we're getting closer to it. I think we're getting closer to it, but we're not there yet. Um, and I, I it's one of the things I would I would hope that racing continues to push, uh, and not it can't force these things to happen, but just keeps pushing away and nudging away, so that uh, um, on the media rights that they do come together because I think at the stage when all of racing is working together on the media rights we will have a much much more powerful proposition. I mean your your exitory in the racing post told the story in numbers over 65% growth in turnover at the jockey club yeah. since your tenure in 2000 uh, 2000 since your uh, the, the start of your tenure in 2009 uh, it, it's 62% growth in underlying operating profits all all great numbers and a, all yeah. a, all a great tribute to your to your time there how significant, though, is it? Do you think that the that the board have chosen as your successor somebody who, who's who's back, who is steeped in in media rights? Their background is steeped in media rights, much as yours was. How much of an indication is that 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 is considered to be the key priority in terms well, of funding the sport? Well, I, I think it shows you that hopefully, as I've just said, that um, there is an understanding that you know the media side is is very important to the sport, and equally is an area where I think you know, the sport could still come together more. And I hope that that's where, where the Jockey Club will continue to take it, because I think that is, that is when you look at things which could move the dial over the next five years, I think that's something that could move the dial. And why hasn't this ITV deal been signed yet, do you think? I think it's partly due to, you know, um, racing not working well enough together. Um, because effectively, when it was originally done, one of the good things about um, that uh, that deal, which I think has been, you know, f a phenomenal step forward for the sport, uh, is that um, RMG, As which included Ascot at that stage, and ARC, all worked and negotiated together and agreed a process and effectively signed the same contract. This time round, those three parties all wanted to do something different with their own contracts, and I think that's just complicated things. Having said that, in the end, I think it's in everybody's interest to, to move forward with it, and I, my, again, my hope and my guess is it will happen. And was your parting shot sort of just get this deal signed, because it's been a... A year we've been reading in the uh, papers now that it's about to be signed and it hasn't been signed yet. Um, I, I would like to see it signed, but you know it's not it's not for me to tell my my successor or my or the jockey club board what they should be doing. But I think they know that already. I don't think they need me to tell them. And you know your your background was in startups, in subscription television, and so forth, and looking at different ways of of generating media income. Is the sort of traditional mainstream presentation of horse racing what we want to build the future on? Uh, if you want to reach a big audience, and I think it's really important that racing does, you've got to, you need that. And, and other sports have seen it, but I mm. think it's even more important for racing because of the levy in particular. Um, but it is, a, there's a direct correlation. There's a direct between. correlation. You know, the more and, and, and we are competing now. You know, the days when when you know people would bet on if they wanted to bet, they had to bet on horse racing. Those days are long gone. You, you've now got to interest people in the sport. If they're interested in it, they will then bet on the sport. So you've got the, the number one, I would say, growth. Um, uh, target for the sport should be to engage more people in the sport um, and that's you have to do that through television you have to do that through betting you have to do that through any way of getting them to the race courses um, in in some ways we're very different from other sports in other sports people tend to like the sport so they follow it actually in racing people come racing anyway 
you know, um, six million people come racing every year, but most of them would not describe themselves as horse racing fans. So um, that's a, in some ways, that's a great position to be in because we have them as customers and we can speak to them and we know who they are. Mm. And actually in the modern world of digital and social media, we can now, I think, find ways of engaging them. And I think that's, that's where you're gonna see real innovation over the next two or three years uh, as we get better at that and get people engaged to come racing more often, to follow it, to watch it, to bet on it, and hopefully to own horses. You know, I think the whole growth of syndicate ownership of horses, I think that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, if we can get people engaged with the sport, I think that's, that's, and technology these days makes this kind of stuff easier. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai.